Miamians and listeners worldwide, this is a special day today. We have our first diplomat on Miami Global Net, and what a way to start, but with the Consul General of Canada, Susan Harper. We will learn about the functions of the Consulate General of Canada in Miami. We will take a high-level view at the Florida-Canada relationship, touching topics such as trade, tourism, and business development. Welcome to Miami Global Net Podcast where we discuss Miami's international relations. We will showcase Miami's international diplomatic and business landscape and get to know the innovative startups calling Miami home. Meet the people behind the organizations that contribute to Miami's commercial and cultural international growth. Consul General, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing today? Well, very well, and it's great to see you again, Alex. You know, yesterday was Canadian Thanksgiving, so this is a festive week. (laughs) That's awesome. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving. Well, thank you, and feliz mes de la herencia hispana también, no? That's right. (laughs) That's right. Lots to celebrate this week, and lots of Canadians here for Canadian Thanksgiving, and lots of Hispanics here in Miami to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. Lots to celebrate this week. We have to be positive in a COVID context, right? Yes, yes, I agree, I agree. So now now I have to ask, what is a Canadian Thanksgiving comprised about? Well, it's not quite the same as American Thanksgiving, I would say. For us, the dinner is usually on a Sunday. It's just a Monday holiday. And of course, in many parts of Canada, it's the time uh, where the trees are changing color. And I know in our family, that's what we used to do. We would drive to get together for dinner, but we would also drive to see the colors of the trees that are changing. And that it's very much, I think, related to harvest much more than perhaps here in the U.S. where it's connected to all sorts of other historical facts that are the case. But for us, it's the first holiday after Labor Day weekend. Often kids come home from school if they've been away. Families do get together and enjoy the the last of the cool but still beautiful weather. (laughs) Is there a traditional food? Oh, it's much like the food here. I know my mother was American, and so we used to celebrate both Thanksgivings, and it was pretty comparable. (laughs) Oh, cool. Cool, cool. So let's start by getting to know you um, a a little bit. So tell us about yourself. Well, I'm a career foreign service officer with the Canadian government, and that means that I'm fortunate enough to have served six times abroad. My background coming into Miami, particularly focused on my background as a trade officer. I'd done lots of different kinds of trade, business development, business advocacy in Washington, and also regulatory work in headquarters and trade policy. At one point, I led the Canadian discussions with Mercosur, for example, which was fascinating and drew on my previous background uh, as head of the commercial section in Argentina and Canadian ambassador in Uruguay. So for me, that that was why they had asked me to come here to Miami, because, you know, with the gateway to the Americas here, for me, it was a a real pleasure to come back and draw on my post-dungs in Washington and in the Southern Cone, but also see another part of, of what Miami is really about, this regional aspect, too. That's my background. I have a couple of kids, one of whom is 
with me now because uh, she came for spring break from Canada and and ended up staying here and working on her grade 12 remotely from here. (laughs) So that's my background. That's cool. Your foreign service career, has it taken you to other countries or is just Washington? Washington, Uruguay, Argentina, Paris. I was in France. Although with a, I speak French with a Toronto accent, so that was fun for me. And I was also, my first posting was in Cameroon in West Africa, which is also French-English bilingual as well as many other things. So uh, I've been lucky to be in several continents. So you are the Consul General, of course, of the Canadian office here in Miami. What are the services or what do you guys do from the office? Well, uh, you're being very diplomatic about this, which is fitting, <laughs> I guess. Uh, a lot of people are not really clear what consuls general, what does that mean, a consul general? The office is called a consulate general. My title is consul general. It's not a term that everybody is familiar with, so I get called counsel sometimes or General, sometimes. I like that one. (laughs) General. I can call you general. And different countries handle this differently. For us, as is the case for all consulates, I think service to our citizens and permanent residents is a key element of what we are doing. Services to Canadians, it's the consular services and the commercial services to Canadian companies. We uh, in Canada, we treat the consulates and consulates general as sort of little regional embassies. And so we have a full range of many services here. Um, And in fact, in addition to our political and public affairs section, our commercial section and our consular section, we also have people from uh, our law enforcement, the RCMP, the Mounties, from customs and from our citizenship and immigration office, not because we don't issue visas, not because of that, but just because immigration is such a key issue here in Miami and in Florida that uh, we want to be sure that we're speaking to people here and understanding what's going on and explaining what's going on in Canada. Plus, reflecting the reality of Florida more generally, we have almost 10% of the Canadian Armed Forces in the United States here in Florida from a NORAD group up in the Panhandle down to Jad of South and Key West and over to McDill and here in Southcom. So uh, for us, we have quite an important Canadian footprint and the Consulate General sort of brings that together. Although we run in parallel with the Canadian Armed Forces, they don't obviously report to me, even if I am a Consul General. <laughs> you're you're going to be my, my general now. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. I have noticed through my time with the city doing international relations that each consulate, they have a a range of similar duties, but they sometimes prioritize or focus their energy in certain things. Some are more trade, some are more cultural, some are just solely services to their citizens. With yours in particular, you have a very strong emphasis in trade. Well, that's right. And I think it's certainly my personal background. I think it's also, it just reflects the huge relationship of Canada and U.S. You know, we, on July 1st this this year, which is actually Canada Day, we celebrated the uh, USMCA coming into force, uh, USMCA being the next generation of NAFTA, 
which we felt was uh, very good to have it modernized and made more inclusive. You know, we have this fundamental relationship, which is so important to the economies of both Canada and the United States. And um, from our point of view, the fact that Canada has such an important footprint here in Florida is fundamental to the definition of our responsibilities. For example, pre-COVID, and you know, we're still watching the evolution of numbers during COVID, but pre-COVID, we had about $9 billion of trade. We were in the top three trading partners for Florida. Um, we were by far the greatest source of international tourists, 3.5 million visits. And of course, when you sell a service to a foreigner, that's an export. So that involved more exports. But of course, snowbirds, when they come down and stay, they invest a lot in the domestic economy too. And, and so we had that big footprint, which explained why we were also doing a lot of partnership activities with the real estate, the Realtors Florida and other real estate people, because Canadians had acquired a lot of residential real estate. Again, Canadians were the number one international purchasers. And I think we had acquired something like $6 billion worth of residential real estate that was recorded as Canadian. You know, it's not always recorded in Florida. In Florida. So, uh, you know, we have quite an important uh, commercial economic footprint. And in fact, if you were number two for investment, for example, with over, well, best count we have is about 500 companies, 2,600 locations. And when you look at all of those figures together, at the moment, we're Florida's most important economic partner, international partner. And so it's that big footprint that is so fundamental to the definition of what we do. Certainly not all that we do, though. We have an expression, Canada, friend, partner, ally. For us, it is multidimensional. But here in Miami, and especially in the moment of COVID, we, we do like to think about the economics and look at what we can continue to do together to help our economies come through this while at the same time protecting the health of our citizens. Cool. I like the expression, friend, partner, and ally. That's right. We say neighbor as well when we're farther north, but here that's a little harder to see. Say neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me tell me some more about the Canadian visitors. You said 3.5 3. million visitors to Florida. Sure. It's 3.5 million visits. I don't want to overstate it because Ah, sometimes, you know, I can come and go on a non-COVID year several times to go up to see my kids in Canada or that kind of thing. But um, we tend to talk both to Canadians and Americans like a lot to visit Florida about what they're seeing and Billy Talbert here in in Miami. And uh, I would say like others, we have a lot of people going to Orlando. We have a lot of people coming through traditionally to a few days and then take a cruise. But uh, the thing that people most uh, often associate with Canadians are Canadian snowbirds. I've spent winters in Canada. I know why there are Canadian snowbirds. (laughs) And in fact, uh, several times before I was posted here, I'd certainly come down as a Canadian with family, with friends, and I hadn't done, however, the snowbird effort, which is people come for 
several months. They can come for up to six months, and both by Canadian and, and American regulations. And so uh, we do have communities of people here, especially in Broward, for example, they you know, there are a lot of Francophone Canadians who come down. We have a Canada Fest usually every February, March, and it's more in French than in English. And because we're a bilingual country, uh, people feel so at home here in the winter. And of course, that's a major investment in the communities. And I'm sure that, you know, I've already had conversations with people who are apprehensive about what the current closed border will do to that situation. From our perspective, of course, there is a closed border. Canada and the U.S. want to protect their citizens in this pandemic situation. But we also do permit uh, essential travel, again, because the commercial relationship is so important. A lot of our goods go by truck. And for example, the truckers and the if you live up in a certain part of Ontario, you know how many trucks there are on the road, many of them coming from the U.S. That is still going on. Those are considered essential services. But also there are other people who cross the border. For example, there are many nurses who uh, live in Windsor in the Canadian side and work in Detroit on the American side. So those kind of essential services are going on. But I think the big question here is in the winter, will the Canadian snowbirds come down? And of course, my crystal ball isn't any better really than anyone else's. As I said, I've certainly been in Canada in the winter, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who would like to come down. And I understand from our friends in CBP that Canadians can fly down to the U.S. So We'll see how this goes, but I remain hopeful that many Canadians will be able to enjoy a beautiful Florida winter as well. I hope so. CBP, what does that stand for? Customs and Border Protection, U.S. U.S. The U.S. regulations that apply when Canadians come to the U.S. Excuse me. Shouldn't no, no, use no. acronyms. <laughs> no, no, it's, acronyms are good. People, people should get to know them. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you noticed, but it's getting kind of chilly out here now. It is much easier when I go for an evening walk. I know today they said, oh, down to 78. And of course, we're going into this because I'm very aware and in Canada and in New England, where my mother, my mother was from, it's getting quite crisp. <laughs> and I know my son, who's bartender in downtown Toronto, just got laid off because our numbers are going up and, you know, it's getting to the end of the outdoor season for the restaurants. That's not going to be a problem here, even in the coolest Florida weather. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so going back to the $9 billion in trade between Florida and Canada, what industries are we looking at for that? As I said, we estimate about 500 Canadian companies who are implanted here in Florida. And so, as you might anticipate, that covers quite a range of sectors. Sure. Uh, certainly in the banking industry, the Canadian banks are very present here. And often people have no idea that they are looking at Canadian banks because they are so well integrated across the United States. But I'm very pleased to have seen six big Canadian banks plus Co-op Desjardins, which is a cooperative very present in Quebec. But I also would say that we have some who are in the high-tech area, security or related to defense trade. We have certainly some in the agri-food business. 
We have some in the healthcare area. Well, let me just mention, and for example, the priorities for us commercially, we have a high tech in different kinds, but we've been doing a lot in venture capital lately. And we do things, uh, the high tech aspects of education, for example, companies they're down here in that healthcare, even before COVID, uh, life sciences, that's an important area that we've been active in. And it's a big sector down here in the U.S. And certainly we have things in that area. Defense and sometimes linked to aerospace. Again, that reflects very much Canadian high tech, but also defense is a big sector here in Florida. And with so many bases, which is why we have so many Canadian armed forces here. So that's a big sector here. We also do infrastructure We've done uh, smart city roadshows for a few years and brought those kind of companies here because that's where a lot of our municipalities in Canada and in Florida want to go smarter and smarter. And so uh, we've done those kind of roadshows where we bring in that kind of Canadian technology to look at partnership or offering services to say municipalities. We were in Miami Tampa Bay and Orlando, for example, for a few years, and we're doing another round this year, virtually, of course. All of those are important sectors for us. If I am a business in Florida and I want to do business with Canada, what does that path look like and how do you guys help or participate? I would say there are a few ways. Going back to the fundamentals Every country wants to increase its own prosperity and jobs in its own area. We here promote particularly attraction of investment into Canada and promotion of Canadian exports of goods and services. But we know that often companies don't know at the beginning or they may have one idea at the beginning, say they think of an export and then they decide they need an office. So they've gone from an export to an investment. So we like to work with partner organizations here. For example, Enterprise Florida International, big partner for us because they help Florida companies who are looking to export to go to the Canadian market. And again, we partner with them because it's up to the company to decide what kind of action they want to take. Are they looking, as I said, for distributors? Are they looking to set up a little office? What are they looking to do? They start off and the Canadians will come to us because we're Canadian. But then again, depending on what they want to do, we talk to Enterprise Florida or county level, uh, municipal level business development areas. And so we try to partner as much as possible. So we all focus on what is most important to us, but we try to complement it. So if a company comes, we don't say we don't do that. We say we don't do this, but so-and-so like Enterprise Florida or Broward, for example, does a lot of work to attract international business. Miami-Dade, Beacon Council, a lot of these organizations are very complementary to our own. We also, for example, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a really important aspect of our work. For example, last year, the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce of the United States had a very big show in Tampa Bay. Lots of people attracted, including the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber. And next year, it's planned to be in Fort Lauderdale. This is big business. I mean, it is it is about supplier diversity and everything. There were very impressive companies that came in. But I also like to hook the organizations up together because 
We don't always have to be the hub. Again, if we can help companies see who are the partners that can help support them. Similarly, we do a lot in, in women, in women's business areas. We have a Go for the Greens is a, a, a conference and business organization for women business owners, and they've always been very welcoming to Canadians, have a big show in conference in Orlando every year. Well, this year they did it virtually with B2B and everything worked very well. We like to attract Canadians to the America's Food and Business Show here in Miami, for example, that's coming up in November. That's an important sector here in in Miami, but we also emphasize to the Canadian companies, you can come here and look at South Florida, Caribbean, and Latin American business. Now, they're coming here to sell, but that's also, again, connecting with what who you can find coming to Miami as well as who lives in Miami. So there are lots of different ways that they can do this. Women's uh, Organization of Women in International Trade, for example, big area um, where there are women in business connecting. And I did an event. One of the wonderful things that has come out of the COVID is we use Zoom. And I we had people from Toronto, Montreal, Tampa Bay, Miami, Broward, all over Orlando from the Organization of Women in International Trade, and then they can connect as well. So there's a lot of these organizations going on. Uh, We have big Jamaican and Haitian communities, for example, as does Florida. We've been trying to, I had somebody just talking to me here in Florida about that. Could we connect Jamaican Americans in Florida, Jamaicans in Jamaica, Jamaican Canadians, and see if we could do some business there? And again, bottom line is, are the companies doing business? But there are all these different ways to connect. In a way, it's similar to what we used to do at the city is connect people. Like they would come to us. And be like, hey, do you know, or, or do you guys believe in that we provide those services? But in fact, we work with local partners, just like you do with Enterprise Florida, the Beacon, and the city we have, the DDA, the Downtown Development Authority. Exactly. Good partners. Good partners. Yeah. I don't agree. For sure. For sure. We also have, uh, I would mention, you know, I've been talking Canada because I'm at the national level, but we have several of our provinces that are quite active here. Province of Quebec, province of Ontario come down, they have their own delegates who are responsible for this market. Nova Scotia, a smaller province on the East Coast, very active, a Nova Scotia company that owns Tico, the uh, Tampa Energy Company. We have many of the provincial level people also here working again to support the companies. And I think as we look towards Coming out of the hit that the economic situation is suffering because of COVID, you know, all these organizations are looking to support companies who are looking to expand again. Can they find markets? Can they get going again or capitalize on the growth that they've already, you know, some people have done very well in the last few months with all these organizations all looking to support the companies. I think this is why we feel as a partner, we're particularly well-placed to help rebuild the prosperity in Canada and here in Florida together. So for us, this is uh, this, and we are looking to do that every way we can. We're even doing little seminars, for example, on um, what has the USMCA changed? How is it more inclusive? How is it more modern? It's got a very interesting digital 
chapter, for example. Well, what is that? And so uh, we try to partner with different people here in Miami, but in, uh, in, in across the state and in Puerto Rico um, to, to try to get that word out. And again, looking right now to really help rebuild economies. How can people participate in these or attend these conferences or events you, you're hosting? They can look at our website. They can look at the Canada website. You know, they just have to Google a Consulate General of Canada in Miami and they'll see information on them. I'll put that in our show notes so people can also access. No problem. Good. You mentioned the provincial offices of Quebec, Ontario and Nova Scotia. Do they also have representation as in like offices and people here? They don't have offices here, yeah. but we they have offices in the region or back in Canada that are very active here. Here. So, for example, when we I mentioned the Go for the Greens conference, I think we had companies from six provinces and we had organizations from five of them. Again, what we see is the organizations are also trying to support and I think many, many of them see the potential here in Florida because there are, again, we have such a solid base already in terms of investment. We have a solid base in terms of Canadians who know Florida, who love to come to Florida, especially in January. It's pretty easy sell. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So with, with all this trade, what are some of the challenges encountered well, that's a fair question because uh, with all this trade, you're bound to have irritants as well. And certainly over the course of the few years, as we were negotiating the USMCA, uh, which we call in Canada the CUSMA or the ASEUM in French, <laughs> and the Mexicans call TMEC. So it has four names now, not just the uh, new NAFTA. But we've also had some issues. We've had some uh, aluminum and steel tariffs uh, in the past, but luckily those are behind us. But because we have so much trade, for example, there's one issue at both the state and federal level, and that is the bulk import of pharmaceuticals from Canada. Having lived in both Canada and the United States, I I'm very aware that the U.S. is the most expensive country in the world for pharmaceuticals, so I understand absolutely why Americans would like to see something done about that and why American governments are looking at it. Unfortunately, for Florida, what they have focused on is imports from Canada, and the Canadian market just is nowhere near the same. The population of Canada is almost 38 million population of Florida is almost 22 million. So Florida alone is two-thirds the size of Canada. But if you look at pharmaceuticals in the world, Canada uses 2% of the world's pharmaceuticals and the U.S. uses 44%. So if there were major wow. imports from Canada being looked for, we don't have the market to be able to supply that. And we know that Florida is one of the more advanced states in looking to address the issue of pharmaceutical costs here in Florida by allowing bulk imports from Canada. And obviously, from a Canadian point of view, the government of Canada couldn't allow such massive imports that it could take to help the Americans. That could jeopardize the supply of pharmaceuticals for Canadians. And of course, the Canadian government would have to do something to protect that 
we we have seen this before, and it's not that Canada is so cheap. I think we're second or third most expensive in the world, but we're just so close. And I think, as is the case in other products, uh, there's confidence in the regulatory system that so if these were really pharmaceuticals that were approved in Canada, I think people here would justifiably feel safe about them. But it doesn't mean that people can't stick up a flag and say they're Canadian, for example. And it also, as I said, we're just too small a market. So we have a an issue going on here where we really sympathize with the American desire to address an important issue, but we just know we are not the solution. And that's uh, going on now because it's getting close, apparently, uh, according to the administration in the U.S., in, in Washington, to being allowed to import those drugs in a bulk import situation from Canada. So that's a bit of an irritant right now that we're trying to increase people's awareness of. But that's just an example because there are always issues. Siblings have them. <laughs> <laughs> It's fair to add to that. I like when you mentioned that Americans could find Canadian pharmaceuticals to be more trustworthy than anywhere else. And there could be cost savings on the transportation because you guys are right there. Well, there's been a lot of publicity. I think, you know, we're so far from the Canada-US border, you can't get much farther away and still be in the States, right? Um, but I know there has been publicity, for example, people going across to get insulin from Minnesota, you know, by bus or from New England by bus, just because, uh, yes, uh, some pharmaceuticals mm. are much cheaper. But again, that's one issue. It's the bulk drug imports. It's the big issue that needs to be addressed, according to both citizens and governments here are saying this is an issue that needs to be addressed in the United States. We have a lot of sympathy for that. Again, it's just we don't see ourselves as the solution the, to the big problem. I know we're running out of time, and I thank you for joining us. Um, one more question. Can you tell us about maple syrup? Oh, yes. Well, it's hard to think of something that's more symbolic, more <laughs> iconic for representation of Canada, although I... My mother was from Vermont. I must, as a first-generation Canadian, also recognize that there is some fine maple syrup from, from New England as well. But certainly in Canada, many years uh, where I live in Ottawa, we go every year because when spring comes and the sap starts running, they start tapping the trees. And you can go up to the big areas where they have a lot of maple trees and they had these huge breakfasts with, of course, pancakes and maple syrup and Canadian bacon and everything. And kids get maple syrup or like the tap, the sap coming out and then it's boiling up and they get it on little sticks and stuck in the ice that they can eat like lollipops. Oh, it's a big production in Canada. It really is. But it's also something that we like to do is give people little maple leaves to to signal that because again it's pretty hard to think of anything more iconically canadian than a maple leaf so maple syrup that's all we eat here on our pancakes <laughs> <laughs> when i went to visit you for the first time you um when i left you gave me a little that's right little maple syrup glass jar with maple syrup inside well, there you go. See, I hope you enjoyed it on your pancakes. I did. I did. I did. And I shared it with a friend that was joining me. <laughs>
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to share your story, a little bit about your background and um, the Consul General's office and, and trade between Florida and Canada. Well, it's such a dynamic place. I love being here, as they say, in the United States, as well as in Latin America and the Caribbean. It's a wonderful place to be. I've been very lucky to be posted in such a dynamic and diverse and fun place. Thank you.